This is Jim O'Donnell from the Taos Land Trust. You are listening to our podcast about land, water, culture, and conservation in northern New Mexico. To introduce the, today's show, which is um, about the Taos Healing and Reconciliation Project, I wanted to talk just for a minute about why this is important to me and why I wanted to bring up this subject. New Mexico has a complex history, to say the least. To be honest, it's, it's, a, it's a violent history full of colonialism, racism, exploitation of, of both land and human resources. We have history of, of massacres and wars and invasions and revolts. It's, it's a complex history, to say the least. And that history impacts us today. Um, it impacts how we talk to each other, how we communicate with each other. Uh, it impacts things like um, our, the, the, the fact that we're a very poor state, that we have low education attainment levels. Um, we have a lot of structural racism that exists not only in this country, but in this state. And over my years of doing uh, environmental conservation work, I've often wondered why it's difficult for us to talk to each other on issues of conservation of water and land, um, things that, that typically we would think of as shared values, typically something you think of, well, everybody wants clean water and everybody wants healthy lands. Um, but, but we have a struggle with that. And it's something that I've been very curious about and explored through my years of conservation work. And I was really excited when I learned about um, the Taos Healing and Reconciliation Project. And uh, one of the ways I learned about that, full disclosure, is that my wife, Rasa Lilo O'Donnell, is, is involved in this project. So I've brought in today um, Danielle Escalante, Danielle Escalante and Maya West, who are heading up um, the Taos Healing and Reconciliation Project to, to talk about what this is, um, how it's going to impact or how it could impact um, the way we communicate and deal with each other in New Mexico, and to talk about this, this really great opportunity to find common ground and find a way to communicate with each other, find ways to, to respect each other in better ways. So I'm going to introduce Danielle Escalante and Maya West, and I'm going to allow you guys to please just tell me about yourselves. Danielle, why don't you start? To set the record straight, I'm not really heading up. I'm one of the advisors, one of the organizers. I think that it would be appropriate to acknowledge one, a local person, Danita Rodriguez, who for years has had this vision that the community could be impacted in a positive way if we brought healers together to uh, address those issues that you brought up a little bit earlier, Jim, around colonization, racism, etc. And then Maya, who I would say is heading up this effort, came into the picture and has really done a great job of coordinating efforts and raising money and contacting healers from all over the country. So as a way of introducing myself, what I would like to start off with is that this morning I feel that our ancestors are whispering in our ears and they're saying be brave, speak the truth and be kind. They remind us to understand that when we speak with someone else we are actually speaking to our other selves. You know, you are Jim, my other me. 
And so it's with that that uh, we open up this uh, sensitive and, and sometimes difficult topic around healing from the effects of racism, sexism, heterosexism, etc. I was born in uh, L.A. in Los Angeles, California. And I would have been born on the east side because that's where we lived. But my mom didn't trust the doctors over there. So she made it over to the west side. And this was the very beginning of... Sorry, that's weird. My phone just started ringing. That's all right. You're popular. Yeah. Oh, boy. And that time I <laughs> dropped it. All right. Um, this We're anyway, all good. that kind of represents the start of, of my life. The next thing that happened was... Um, my mom wanted to name me Danny after a character in John Steinbeck's book, Cannery Row. Oh, wow. And the doctors wouldn't let her. And they said, no, it has to be a Christian name. You will call him Daniel. And um, so that was the name on my birth certificate, although my mom wanted Danny as my name. Now, why this is significant is that this has happened to so many people I know and so many people in my family where people uh, have sort of not allowed us to be uh, to have the names that we that we want my aunt her name was gala but the teachers at school called her gail and so that became her name my uh, grandmother was alicia but they wouldn't uh, let her have that name so they called her alice my mom was elena but they didn't like that so they called her helen and this was uh, just a way that our identities can be uh, taken from us at a very early age. And you might say, well, you know, that's kind of insignificant in some ways. But when you look at all these things that add up, they're like little paper cuts. There's that expression, uh, death by a thousand cuts. It's what happens. You know, we experience, as people of color, we experience all these little minute cuts over the years that eventually lead to bleeding out, and we don't even understand why that happens. So this whole notion of healing from oppression has been key in my development. Uh, later, A little bit later in life, I was um, working with the Boulder County Mental Health Center and was trained as a substance abuse counselor. And in that training, what I learned was how important it was in the healing process to be heard. And so that reminds me of a quotation that I read. Um, People begin to heal the moment that they feel heard. And so this kind of began a lifelong mission for me to listen to people and to find people who are willing to listen to me uh, as a way for me to heal. I think about how a lot of us who are activists uh, want to change the world. And uh, it reminds me of a couple of quotes, one by um, um, Rumi, who said, Yesterday I was clever. I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise. I want to change myself. And then Gloria, uh, and I'm spacing out her last name, but she's a Chicana scholar, activist, uh, theologian, Um, she said something similar. She said, uh, I changed myself, I changed the world. And I guess I would paraphrase that to say, um, I heal myself, I heal the world. So healing has been a major part of my life. And as a counselor, and then later as a community organizer, I learned about facilitating groups. 
and was able to apply some of the uh, techniques that I learned uh, as a counselor to community work, uh, especially in terms of helping people to heal from past wounds, hurts, and mistreatments. I had the opportunity to train uh, teachers, elementary and middle and high school teachers, and the training was pretty intense. We were looking at how can teachers teach people, uh, their students, how to heal from oppressions, uh, sexism, racism, heterosexism, etc. And what we knew is that we couldn't expect the teachers to be able to do this unless they went through a healing process themselves. And so we practiced, uh, we learned about and practiced techniques uh, such as dyads and personal experience panels. So that kind of uh, gives you a sense of how this has really been a lifelong process for me, is to really try to understand more about healing and do whatever I can to heal myself and also to help other people who would like to heal. And with that, I got involved with this project because uh, Maya and Anita were looking for a place to house the healers. And my partner Betty and I have a small retreat center in Llano Quemado, uh, where this kind of uh, activity fits very well into what we're doing there. And so we will have the honor of hosting healers from around the world, actually. And, and Maya can talk more about that. And provide good food for people while they're here. And we just found out recently that we will also be building a sweat lodge on the property. And that will be um, done in the Lakota uh, way and led by uh, um, a woman who has been doing Sundance for 16, 17 years. She really understands and really knows the Lakota ways of doing sweat lodges. So I have a lot of faith in her and, and trust that the process that we use for doing the sweat will be a respectful and done in, in an appropriate way. So there's a lot of other things that are going on that weekend, but I think I should probably stop jibber-jabbering and, and have uh, uh, Maya, give Maya the opportunity to introduce herself. Yeah, thank you, Danielle. Uh, Maya, yeah, um, tell us who you are. I think a lot of people already know you, um, and you, you used to live in this community, and, and we, frankly, we miss you guys. But uh, yeah, jump on in and tell us who you are. Good morning, Jim. Thank you so much for having Danielle and I on today to talk about the Taos Healing and Reconciliation Project. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I like Danielle. Um, my 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 path to this particular project um, has come through uh, my own lifelong commitment to healing um, from the various experiences, both of my lifetime and that of my ancestors. Um, I am Latvian um, and German descent. My mother was born in a displaced persons camp in Germany, um, the Russian occupation that led to about a third of the population of Latvia passing, um, continued on past World War II, unfortunately, um, until 1991, um, when I was finally able to meet my relatives for the first time. I didn't realize that that was an important story until I was in my early 40s, but I had always had this um, fierce fight for the underdog um, I literally came out of the womb with, um, and that combined with some of the challenges I faced early in my life led me to having to commit to healing. I didn't have a choice. Um, and so through that process, um, 
I uh, arrive where we are today, which is that both I am Latvian and German, but I'm also white um, in the context of what we think of whiteness in this country. Uh, what whiteness means is both an erasure of experience of our own heritage as Euro folks, but also of an inheritance of privilege um, and supremacy. And so that complexity, um, you know, that I carry as a white woman um, has always been a part of my work, but more recently has been driven by this vision of reconciliation. And I, um, this vision comes from the um, deep listening that, that has come from wonderful conversations that I've gotten to have with Indigenous leaders, leaders that are people of color, um, however identified, and also then these really interesting healers um, that I have had a chance to get to know. Um, but my own first experience with Indigenous healing in particular, the idea of First Nations um, origin healing, um, there's a lot of ways to define it, came from a single white trailer on Gustorf and Taos. Um, that was many, many years ago. Um, Jim, as you speak to, I, I used to live there, um, and that was one of my first experiences with that. Um, and since then, I've had many more. This work for me is personal as much as it is um, in the community. Um, Danielle's quote about from Rumi about the change in myself, that's, that's where I have been humbled by the voyage of this. I consider my leadership coming from a place of how do I lead myself first? How aware I am I of my ability to harm or be harmed in the world in, in, in the context that I find myself in culturally or on somebody's land that's not mine? And then I look to my family. What are the ways that I need to reconcile my own family line? And where are the conversations, the forgiveness, the apologies that come from that, which can be excruciatingly difficult? And then I look to my community of influence as a woman who is white. Where are the places in my personal life, my professional life, where I can also work towards reconciliation? And I think of all those pieces as being my, the highest priority before I'm in community because those are the places where the hardest <laughs> work lies. And certainly as a white woman, um, uh, also more important in the context of our amazing racial dynamics. Um, both the wonderful um, challenges of that and also the incredible strength of northern New Mexico. Thank you, Maya. So the Taos Healing and Reconciliation Project, uh, you have a website. It is Taos Healing. Danielle, what, what's the website? Oh, Maya, what's the website? <laughs> so so uh, let, me, let me provide a little uh, clarification. So the Taos Project is a four-year pilot, meaning uh, it will continue on. It's just in a certain form right now. Um, we are in our second year of the four years. Um, that's the Taos Healing and Reconciliation Project, and that is hosted by the Healing and Reconciliation Institute, which okay. is a nonprofit, and that website is healingreconciliationinstitute.org. It's a long uh, long website, but um, it's easy to find with a Google search. Okay, yeah, thank you for that clarification. So so what is the mission of the, of the Institute? Let's start there. Uh, well, the, the mission of the Institute is to provide evidence-based reconciliation tools and practices to help heal racial and historical divides. We support trauma-informed and Indigenous origin healing services for communities um, by offering both licensed and authorized volunteer healers. Authorized, we can talk about in a second. Um, coupled with our ongoing planning workshops with community leaders, we support um, a cohesive community where all groups and cultures can better work together um, towards present-day issues while still acknowledging fully the historical harms. 
both you and Danielle touched on this in in your introductions, but I, but let's. I just want to revisit for clarification the philosophy and the thinking behind this, Danielle. What what's the need that you guys see that brought about the creation of the institute? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, when I moved to Taos, maybe seven, eight years ago. Um, and began to listen to what people were talking about and looking at what are the issues in the community. And I noticed that um, contrary to the idea that this is a community where there are three cultures that all get along really well together, I think that's some kind of a marketing uh, ploy that somebody came up with. Uh, People actually were sitting on a lot of pain, sitting on a lot of wounds. And every so often, if a person trusted me, they would tell me about it. Um, But for the most part, it really goes uh, unspoken. And so I was interested in really kind of digging a little bit into what are the causes of this? Why do people not, why are people not able to work together as well as we could? I've gone to events where I see all kinds of white people, and I go to events where I see all kinds of Spanish people, and I go to events where there are uh, mostly Native people from the Pueblo. And uh, very few events that really have uh, a a good representation of of the many different cultures in the area, including Asian and black and other other, uh, ethnic groups. So... I was really curious and uh, about why all that was happening, but also wanted to do something about that. Uh, we organized a youth conference a couple of years ago, and it was probably one of the most diverse um, events that, that we've seen since I've been here. Um, and so I know that it is possible, but I also know that we need to really look at the root causes as to why people are not able to communicate with each other, people don't trust each other, um, and that makes it hard to work together. So when Maya and Anita started talking about holding this event, I thought, yeah, I really want to throw my support behind this. I think this is a step in the right direction. Um, There's so many different ways that people can heal, and I think that looking at the... Uh, indigenous ways, the traditional ways of healing, is a major step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I come from Colorado myself, Southern Colorado, and I grew up in a, a neighborhood of mixed ethnicity and went to schools with kids from all different backgrounds. And it was so this was something I never really thought about until I came to New Mexico, well, almost 30 years ago. But uh, I was really struck by exactly that is like we're we're the town of three cultures I, I would argue there's four cultures with the the newer um, Central American immigrants here there's 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 um, but yeah we're a town of three cultures and we all get along but we don't talk to each other and that really struck me um, it was it really impactful in in my thinking it was like wow why not and what causes that mm-hmm. Um, Maya, do you have something to add to what Danielle was see- saying about the, the need and the philosophy behind the Institute? Um, 
Yeah, I, I uh, just to echo, acknowledge in all, all of the um, the ways this conversation has already been come forward, where we are not the first ones to speak about healing and reconciliation in Taos. This, you know, it goes to the conference that Danielle organized. This goes to uh, work that has been done at Taos Pueblo by leaders speaking to reconciliation. That goes, this goes to the Regeneration Festival. So this is, you know, this is a, a, a parallel uh, path and a process that's been going for a while. My, my experience. In Taos, I worked for many of the nonprofits there. I was involved in politics there, as you know, all of them as an import. You know, I was not. I'm not from New Mexico. I'm from California. I'm a guest to Northern New Mexico. It's not my land. But my experience there was that, in general, they're just like you were both saying. There's this idea that we are supposedly all living in harmony, <laughs> um, and yet my experience from a from a practitioner from a, a community organizer and um, member was that the very um, opposite, that it was quite a segregated community. And so trying to work on um, dynamic uh, multiracial, multicultural teams was almost an insurmountable obstacle there, my experience when I was there before, which was not my experience working on community organizing diverse groups um, in California with, you know, uh, in similar, similar spaces. So that has had always given me pause. But the biggest thing that I, I see um, and my learning from this process of healing reconciliation and listening, a lot of listening to my colleagues and friends who are people of color and indigenous members of northern New Mexico, is that all of our current um, challenges on this topic have historical origins. And unless we fully acknowledge the historical origins, then it's very hard for us to to be effective um, in that space today. Um, I don't feel like the different groups in Taos get along at all. And I think there's a lot of a lot of things that go unspoken because it doesn't feel safe um, to share them honestly. And so my 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 penance uh, and my my opportunity to give um, for me is about having loving um, and educational conversations with other white folks in Taos. Um, and that's one way I've wanted to contribute to this project because I just felt like it was important um, and it became from my own experience of struggling with this living as a resident in Taos. Danielle, I want to ask you, what is historic trauma? Well, um, first I can tell you how trauma has affected uh, my family and then a little bit about how I see Taos having been affected. When my grandparents migrated here from Mexico, and I say migrated because uh, my ancestors have been living on this continent for thousands of years and have been migrating up and down. It wasn't until Manifest Destiny and, and the borders were created that suddenly we were accused of crossing the borders illegally. Right. Um, so we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. Uh, but when my grandparents uh, migrated to this country, they were treated very, very badly, you know, and people made fun of them, what they sounded like, their accents, uh, what they ate and everything else. And my grandparents made a decision at that point that they didn't want their kids to experience the same kind of racism. So they raised their kids to be less Mexican. And uh, consequently, their kids didn't uh, have a sense of, of where they came from, um, the, the language, um, many of the traditions. And then those kids grew up and they had kids. 
and they weren't able to pass on traditions that they didn't know and, and um, language that they didn't know. And that was my generation. So I was born into that. And that's how racism has affected our family personally. Now, as I began to explore my roots, and, and it didn't happen in school either. I had to do it after I left school. Um, I realized that I really needed to help my kids understand who they are and where they come from. So they were involved in bilingual bicultural programs and uh, had a very strong sense of, of their identity. Uh, although they choose to identify in different ways. My oldest is Hispanic. My next oldest is Latino. He works in the corporate world, and that's a safer term for him to use. My daughter is Chicana, and you better not argue with her about that. And then my uh, youngest is hip-hop. He believes that in uh, his world, uh, hip-hop includes uh, people from many different cultures. So it's been several generations, but we, as the Escalante family, have been trying to recover from the effects of racism that my grandparents experienced. This is the historical trauma that occurred in my family. In this area, um, we have people who are very land-based, as you know, and uh, one of the um, oppressions that people around here have experienced is the uh, taking of the land. And taking of the land uh, has resulted in um, um, despair um, for some people, many people, a sense of failure, um, unraveling of families, and... Um, support systems, uh, loss of connection to communal living, uh, cultural unraveling, addictions, and violence, domestic and otherwise. It's sometimes hard for people to kind of connect the dots between what happened in the past to what's happening now. But if you really look at it, uh, it isn't that hard. Uh, this community is suffering, I think, from historical trauma. And while many people uh, have been working on healing from from that historical trauma. Uh, there are still many people who are not. Uh, we have a high addiction rate in this community. We have some domestic violence in this community. And probably for me, most sobering of all is a high suicide rate, especially among young people. Yeah. This isn't right. This does not need to happen. So... Um, for me, historical trauma affects our behavior. And like you said earlier, the way we communicate with each other, the relationships we have with each other, it's really important that we deal with the historical trauma if we're going to be able to get along with each other and, and work together. Yeah, I don't think that most people give the appropriate weight to how things that happened in the past influence us now. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, you can look at the way different populations were treated in the past, just in, in terms of, say, access to food, and you can see those impacts now in health. Mm -hmm. um, trauma that happened previous uh, two or three or five generations ago shows up in mental health issues now. Mm -hmm. So there is this, uh, there's a huge impact on the present day that the past has. But then, you know, some people say, well, that was all in the past. But those, a lot of those structures, those colonial structures, those structures of racism still do exist now today. 
so you've got multiple layers of that. You have you have the influence of history on things today, and then you have those structures that we have yet to tear down or to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I've learned in my own healing process and in working with people who are, are trying to heal is that some of those wounds uh, can take a lifetime to um, right. heal from, and maybe even more than one generation. I don't know. Uh, and some of them can be dealt with uh, in in uh, traditional ways, as as Maya uh, pointed out earlier. Um, one of the activities that we like to do with uh, groups that come to Casa Taos is one around letting go. And we ask people to identify those things that they know it's time to let go of. Behaviors, attitudes, uh, and we also ask them to write down things that it's time that they keep, they want to nurture. Something about themselves that they want to nurture. And then we take those things that it's time to let go of, those bits of paper, and we burn them. And we put them in a hole in the ground and burn them. And then we plant a tree or a rose bush or a shrub in its place to kind of represent the transformation that uh, they and we all uh, are going through uh, in order to heal. So um, those are some thoughts. I know Maya has other thoughts too. Well, Maya, what are some of the tools? Like that's what Danielle was just getting at was there's different tools that you can use to to, to both acknowledge historical trauma and then to begin to heal with that. And Danielle was just describing this very beautiful process that they do at Casa Taos. What are some of the other tools that Taos Healing and Reconciliation Institute and, and the project has at its disposal to, uh, to work on healing? Well, thank you. Um, and I, and I, again, um, <clears throat> as we think about these pieces of, of, you know, just first of all, accepting, yes, that that, that there are harms historically, but there are harms now as we continue to use systems that don't always um, have kind of the right fit for everyone, um, or maybe for any of us. <laughs> that remains to be seen sometimes. Um, but it's still learning. Specific tools. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we we always encourage um, you know uh, that anybody who's um, that's on lands that are not theirs, their guests. You know, so in northern New Mexico, of course. Um, there are many guests there, um, folks who came from outside of the area during their lifetime or their ancestors. Um, that we, we direct folks towards um, understanding um, inherited whiteness, white privilege, um, and the role of white supremacy and continuing colonization. You know, light topics. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, uh, what we, what those light topics are, you know, I, I don't mean to be facetious, but they are deep. Um, and they, they're meant to be a self-study exercise as much as it's a community learning um, but we want to take responsibility for that as guests. Um, I think about it as demonstrating good manners in Taos or any place where I'm a guest. You know, what, what are the ways I show being a good mannered citizen? I need to understand the history um, of what's come before me very well, you know, um, um, for, for really practical tool, tools. You can, um, there's also the journaling, of course. Um, our Website has a library, uh, you know, our resources page that has a bunch of books, um, both related to indigenous healing methods as well as learning about um, whiteness in the space of this conversation. And and then of course, um, sitting together in, in group listening circles, which Danielle has really um, you know shared so much um, knowledge about with me and the rest of the organizers and planners. 
listening circles are critical to being able to listen in a way that um, without defensiveness, instead to listen with curiosity. So listening circles with those who um, who are willing and have the energy and time to share with you is always helpful. But we're, we're always trying to first start with our own readily accessible knowledge. And then finally, you know, our, our organization has created a curriculum. So we have offered um, an eight-hour course um, in Taos for folks that are new to the area or have been in the area for a while and have found their efforts kind of frustrated as a white person. They're not they're kind of trying to figure out what's going on in Taos. We offer an eight-hour um, um, workshop that can be over an eight-month period or two months, um, and we'll be starting another group um, in Taos for that with local facilitators, um, likely by the end of this year. So, And that, that will be a wonderful opportunity for people to learn as well. Can you guys dive into th- that particular eight-month workshop process project a little bit more? Talk about that more in detail. Like, it, it, How can people get involved in that? What kind of people, who might be interested, and what's the process that you go through in that, in that eight months? Uh, well, okay. So first of all, and Danielle can add you know, this. All of the, the what we discuss in this in this workshop is all learning again from these listening from our our indigenous leaders, healers, people of color in the community in Taos and elsewhere um, who've informed this curriculum. So what happens is that we help white folks turn inward first. We we explore our own ancestry story. Um, we explore whiteness not from the perspective of shame or humiliation um, or whatever people, or pride. Sometimes people, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people look at whiteness. But most of the folks that come to our workshops are white and who are curious about how to be a more effective social change activist. They're, they're members of agencies. They're members of churches. They're members of um, book clubs. They are leaders. They're all looking for a, a way to do this in a less harmful way in a community that's not typically theirs. So it's not it's not exclusively for white people, but that is kind of the the audience that you're you're going for. Yeah, so we we're we're there, that's that's one of our one of our initiatives and it's a small part of our work, but it's an important part which is to provide a place for white folks to have safe conversations on this topic. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, you know, folks that are not white, that are curious and want to be in that space, for some people, that can be healing. For other people, it's very harmful. Right. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's for the person to decide. Uh, but the, the context for it is to start looking at our inherited whiteness, not from a perspective of shame, but more from a place of curiosity. What has been um, the idea of white mean um, in our society, and, 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 and more specifically in Taos? And then also just a real understanding of both trauma, um, how does that impact our ability to um, handle conflict now for all, as, as all of us as humans, which is universal. And then also uh, how, have, um, how have the experiences of our ancestors informed who we are today? Because if we can understand that about our own position, um, our own story, our own loss from colonization, our own loss that could have happened 400 years ago, um, there might be a part of us that um, unwinds a little bit and maybe can um, empathize in a, in a new way or a deeper way to those whose lands we're on, um, to their potential story, to their to their past experience and their present. And it allows, it's a, it's, you know, one of the participants said at the end of the workshop that she said, I thought that this was going to be adding to my knowledge, but she said what I felt like was this was an unwinding. Oh, interesting. 
And so that, I think that's the only way I can describe it for every person. It's different. Um, and it's, and this curriculum is, this particular offering in Taos is for white folks, but the same curriculum is being used in Indigenous spaces too. You know, it's just has a little bit of a different flavor, but the topics are all the same because we're all humans too. Right, right. Uh, Danielle, Maya was just talking about one of the tools that you guys are using to work through healing and rec- reconciliation. Um, and I remember at one point you, t- you talking to me about the, the power of story and storytelling in healing and reconciliation. And that brings me to another tool in your guys' toolbox that, that you've been doing for a while, and that's reading to end racism. Tell me about that. Sure, sure. I'd love to. Uh, first, I would just like to say that it can't be uh, overemphasized how important it is what Maya is doing with this group. You know, people of color have been crying out since a long time ago about racism, and a lot of people got hurt in the process, a lot of people got killed in the process, and continue to be hurt and killed. What we're seeing now is that there are white people who want to be good allies, and they want to see something change. And so Maya is helping people to become aware, and then she's helping people to understand and then she's helping people to make commitments, and, and this is what we need. This is really important. So the Reading to End Racism program in Taos uh, started about oh, five, four or five years ago. And uh, the basic idea is that trained volunteers from the community, uh, including adults and high school students, uh, go into elementary and middle school classrooms they share personal stories about how they've been affected by racism. And then they read from an age-appropriate book that lends itself to having a discussion about racism. And that discussion is facilitated by the reader. The reader is not expected to share everything they know about racism. Instead, they're encouraged to have the students talk about it. And in the process, students have had incredible stories about uh, experiences they've had, their parents have had. Uh, We know that racism exists in this community, and the kids know it, too. Uh, One story I'm thinking of in particular is there's this uh, high school student, I guess he was a freshman student from the Pueblo, who was getting beat up on a regular basis at Taos High School. And from what I've heard, this is not that unusual. Native kids are, like, really low uh, in in the structure of things at the high school, and uh, maybe even lower would be the Mexicano immigrants. Um, so kids getting beat up, and this young student was telling me how he couldn't take it anymore. He had to go to a different school, so he went to an alternative school, and that's where I met him. I was training him to be a reader in our program. And the story that he shared about racism was that he got beat up at school, his mom went to the school to talk with the principal and the counselors about this, but on the way into the school, the students started calling her names and being very abusive towards her. So, Towards the mother. Towards the mother, wow. yeah, towards the mother. So we know that racism exists in the school systems as well as other systems that we live under. Uh, and the Reading Tend Racism program helps people to, like what Maya is doing, become aware that this is happening, uh, to understand why it's happening and the root causes of, why, of, of uh, racism, and then to make a commitment. 
to helping to end racism. And that's how we end each of the classroom discussions uh, is by everybody saying what they're willing to do to help end racism. Now, at that level, there's very little talk about institutional racism. Mm -hmm. It's more about, you know, how they're going to sit with people who are, uh, they normally don't sit with uh, at lunchtime. Or they're going to invite people to their parties that they normally wouldn't invite. Or they're going to talk with people and so on. To them, that is their way. But not always. I was in a class one time where the students were impatient with me. You know, when I asked, you know, well, what do we do to help end racism? They said, well, we want to talk about the institutional changes that need to happen. You know, like, should we write letters to the editors? Should we make posters and put them up around town and stuff? And I go, right on. Who is this teacher <laughs> that they have? Um, so reading to end racism is yet one other way that local people are working to heal from and help to eliminate racism in this community. Um, so I appreciate you bringing it up. Do you find that when people are able to tell their own personal story about, about the racism that they've, that has been handed down to them or dealt to them, do you find that that other people are are more receptive to than the idea and the concepts of racism, and I, I guess I'm thinking about, you know, in our in our national discourse, the idea of racism is oftentimes it's so it, it's so abstract in a way that people just can easily dismiss it. Oh, that doesn't happen, or those people are being so sensitive mm -hmm. to everything. Um, oh, that's no big deal. Mm -hmm. um, they can be very dismissive of it at a at a at a larger level, but when people start talking about their individual experiences, does that have a larger impact? Well, it does have an impact, um, and in recent years, it's sort of begun to backfire a little bit, and let me explain. Um, people need opportunities to make human connections with each other. If you have uh, made a human connection with somebody and you have a relationship, and you care about that person, and you know their stories, uh, you don't want to hurt them. It just follows, and it's kind of a natural flow that happens. Right. However, there are structural things that perpetuate racism in the schools and, and in uh, different places of employment and in government and other places that really need to be looked at as well. So... When you share your personal story uh, as a person of color to help educate white people about our experiences, after years of doing that, it gets old, it gets uh -huh. tiring, and we feel like we're constantly trying to educate white people about our experiences. Uh -huh. What I've been doing um, in some of the workshops that I do in the past few years is asking white people to share about their experiences with oppression. How have you experienced oppression in your life? What did that feel like? What did you need from people to be your ally? What did you want people to do for you in that situation? When white people connect to their own experiences and those feelings come up uh, as they share their story, they are f in a much better position to hear my story. Oh, interesting. And so that, that goes back to that importance of being heard. Yes. Piece. Everybody wants that. Absolutely. So I know Maya probably has more to say about that as well. Well, I, I, uh, I think that one of the things that we have been taught as white folks, this came up for me um, having visited my um, family in Latvia for the first time. Um, 
which was a deeply moving experience. And I brought my daughter um, with me, and I got to see my family and go to the sacred sites that were really um, calling to me, my family, and also to visit the places where my people are from, which was a gift. Um, and being there and looking back at the U.S., um, thinking of the fact that I, my mother was needed to flee um, with her family to the U.S., so uh, coming, you know, not out of, you know, necessarily an interest, in, but more out of a, a desperate need to, um, to keep the family safe. I, I had a different perspective on the U.S., and one of the most powerful things that came from that was that when, however we arrive on U.S. soil, um, we are we are required to forget, or we are told that where we come from um, doesn't matter, and 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 why is this particularly prevalent when you're white? Is because we are the ones that are the worst offenders of this. We don't know where we're from in a lot of the cases, um, and that is, you know, I say that out of love because I, you know, even with it right in my face my whole life, I, the powerful uh, message was don't remember. Um, you are here now. This is the place where we are. We we know where we need to go forward. Um, but in that process, we lost our ability to access our both our biggest source of wisdom, which is what um, where we're from and and and, that, and those stories to help us access more compassion and empathy now for others that have a different story. And I I think in this space um, that is one of the most important things. And then of course. Then when we're acting, that we're acting out of um, using our manners from that context. So we, we want our, you know, we want our community not just to sit and go inward. We also want them to act, but we just want them to act in a way that doesn't perpetrate some of these harmful practices, um, you know, going forward. And so, you know, when we're, when we're looking to Taos, you know, um, how, who are we listening to? If we're speaking about land and water, which is a big topic on this, you know, for your listening audience today, who are the original folks, and what what have been their um, indigenous land and water conservation practices that have been going on since time memorial? What are the what is the wisdom that we can integrate into our other models now? You know, our climate change platform or whatever it is that we're working on. I think those are the pieces that support the conversation. I'd like to make sure before we wrap up the call today, Jim, and with your permission, and for Danielle to add as well, I'd like to just share the names of the different ambassadors that are involved in the project in Taos so folks that are listening can reach out to these members when they see them. Yeah, okay. d- guys, dive um, right in on that. <laughs> we only have about four minutes left. So yeah, let's let's talk about what, um, yeah, the ambassadors and then what's coming up in the next month and how people who are interested in this can get involved and, and start their uh, process. Great. Okay, so I'll be really specific. So first of all, the ambassadors are the folks in Taos that um, are publicly representing this project. So Jim, your wife, Rasa, is one of them. We also have Anita Rodriguez, who, of course, is the original visionary for this flavor of what we're doing, Danielle Escalante, Peggy Nelson, and Henrietta Gomez. So those are some of the public folks, but there's, um, you know, between 30 and 40 or more um, people who contribute in the conversation, both privately and online, both um, in small circles that are private and also public conversations. So there's so many people, but those are some of those. Um, we are going into our set annual healing weekend. Uh, we focus on healing before reconciliation because they go hand in hand, but the, the request of the community of Taos 
is that we bring some really amazing support for healing into the community. And we're we're supporting um, those who have Indigenous healing practices, but really trauma-informed, meaning we're dealing with the whole mind, body, spirit, person, and that of their ancestors. So our two big events we have on Friday, um, for those who are interested in knowing more about the Taos Healing Reconciliation Project after today's conversation, we will be speaking on Friday, October 4th at 1230 at the Electric Co-op. And we will be asking for a suggested donation of $10, but nobody will be turned away. Those funds will go towards our healers and to providing healing services in Taos. So that's Friday, October 4th at 1230 at the Electric Co-op. Okay. Um, And then our second event is on Saturday, October 5th. That is from 11 to 3. That is at TCDC. And that particular event is is more for those who are from the historical harmed communities of Taos. So we are specifically wanting to extend ourselves to the original people of Taos First, our current citizens that are um, literally from the area. We are looking at the different folks that have um, been impacted through their ancestry um, from colonization in northern New Mexico. So this is an event that is specifically for indigenous and people of color of Taos. Um, And that is a health fair. um, And the doors will open at 10 a.m. And so we will be getting out the word about that as well. But for folks that are wanting to learn more about the project, um, I really recommend the Friday, October 4th, 1230 event. Great. And all of this is available on the website? HealingReconciliationInstitute.org. And on the Contact Us page, there's a, bu- there's a donation button. And if people want to volunteer or otherwise learn more about the event, there's also a supporter button or a volunteer or take action. So on the Contact Us page of our website, all those different um, four access points are available there if people want to be involved or support. Great. Danielle, do you want to... Give us uh, our exit here. Sure, sure. Um, First, I want to acknowledge Maya. Uh, When she talked about the event that's happening at the electric co-op, she didn't say Kit Carson electric co-op. We're trying to wean those (laughs) words from our language for obvious reasons. I just was inspired by these words by Valerie Cower. She is a young lawyer, um, Sikh, woman who was speaking at a, a gathering in somewhere at a church in the South. She said, these days, native bodies are still seen as savage. Black bodies are still seen as criminal. Brown bodies are still seen as illegal. Trans bodies are still seen as immoral. And the bodies of women and girls are still seen as someone else's property. And when these bodies are seen as not as brothers and sisters, then it becomes easier to bully them, to rape them, to take away their land and the water that sustains them, and to allow policies that neglect them, to incarcerate them, and even to kill them. Yes, the future looks dark, like a tomb. But I ask, what if it's not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb? What if our community is not dead, but a community that is waiting to be born? What if the story of this community is a labor of collective transition? And what does the midwife say at the time of transition? Breathe and push. Because if she does not breathe and push, they will die. And if we as a community do not breathe and push, our community will die. All of our ancestors are standing behind us right now. Those who have experienced adultism, racism, sexism, genocide, slavery, and colonization 
They're whispering in our ears, you are brave, you are good, si se puede. Ah, thank you. Danielle Escalante and Maya West of the Taos Healing and Reconciliation Project. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you, Jim. You've been listening to the Taos Land Trust Podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded by Jim O'Donnell at the studios of KNCE 93.5 FM in Taos, New Mexico. Edited by Brett Tomadin. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit www.taoslandtrust.org. This is Jim O'Donnell for the Taos Land Trust. Thank you for joining us.